Well, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas, almost. We're a week away. Can you believe that? It is here. And just really glad that you decided to join us this morning. My name is Travis. I'm one of the pastors here. And especially if this is your first time, love to give a huge shout out to you. Thanks so much for joining us here today on a a nice cold Sunday morning. And I really do appreciate you considering and being a part of our Christmas serve offering this year. Um, We just saw our global partner that we're working with this today, Andy from Hinga, based out of Uganda. And then, of course, uh, Congregations for Kids is our local partner that we're going to be supporting and highlighting this year. So you'll have a chance. You can go online right now and donate that. We'll have that fund open all throughout the month of December. But thank you so much for being a part of that this morning. And just wherever you find yourself today, I'm just glad you're here. Whatever state of mind you're in, thank you for being here. Um, We're going to continue our series this morning, The Way in a Manger. I'm always privileged to be up here and to speak with you. And it's always even more special this time of year as we get to really highlight and talk about the Christmas story itself. And so we're going to jump into that here in just a minute. But I was thinking about it today. I was like, isn't it just kind of fascinating to think about this moment in history that regardless of what you believe or regardless of what someone in our culture may believe about the Christmas story or the person of Christ, whatever it may be, I think we could all agree that this moment in history completely changed the course of history, did it not? Because even 2,000 years ago, it changed the, the nature of the land, as we'll see here in just a minute. Even in, in Judea at the time, it really disrupted everything. And here we are now 2,000 years later, and we're still talking about that. But to do that this morning, I want to invite you to stand as we read God's Word together straight from the, the Gospel of Matthew at this moment, this, this incredible Christmas day here. This is Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, and this is the Word of the Lord to you this morning. It says that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law, and he asked them, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Let's pray. Jesus, it is a privilege to be here this morning with our brothers and sisters and to come and celebrate this this amazing moment in history, this powerful moment which, which changed the course of not just history but our lives and everything about it. And Father, as we unpack your word this morning, I, I just simply ask that the Holy Spirit would Uh, use the words necessary through my mouth to speak in the hearts of all of us, that we may gain a better, clearer image of who it is you really are and why this story even matters, why it is we take time once a year to really celebrate the goodness of this particular day. And so, Father, thanks for everyone that's come here today. I know it's not by accident, and I pray that each of us would gain a deeper understanding for you as we long to know you more, love you more, and to love others as well. And to that end, we commit all this in the great name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Well, this morning, I want to start off with a simple yet kind of profound question, which is just simply this. Who is Jesus? 
It's a, it's a fair question, and yet I think we would argue that it's, it's one of the most popular questions that's ever been asked. It's got tremendous value in terms of how we answer it, but it's been a popular question ever since he was actually born, as we just read in the Gospel of Matthews, that as soon as word begins to spread about him, the entire country of Judea, the, the area of Judea, stops and, and really wonders, hey, have you heard about this? What have you heard? I, can you tell me a little more? So much so that it even reaches King Herod himself, and he and he calls the, the wise and the religious leaders together to say, can you tell me a little bit more about this so-called ruler, this so-called king that we have? It, it stops an entire country to say, who is Jesus? And now here we are in 2022. Tw yeah, we're still in 22, right? Not 23 yet. Here we are in 2022, and really I find ourselves that even as a culture, we're still trying to figure out what is ultimately Christmas about. Because here's what I've realized, right? Every year, like clockwork, it starts the same. You know, come around Thanksgiving or even um, Halloween time, we start, no, that's not true. It's more like September we start celebrating Christmas here, don't we? Yeah, you, you walk into Hobby Lobby and it's like December 31st or December 25th all of a sudden. But it's interesting that we as a culture are, are really moved by the idea of Christmas. And yet when you really stop and think about it, th there's a lot of definitions about it. I was reading this week from the Gallup and the Pew Research polls. This, this kind of blew my mind. Think about this for a sec, okay? Research is finding that now more than 50% of Americans view Christmas as a cultural holiday. Think about that. Most people in the United States would say that Christmas is a cultural celebration. Why is that important? Because there's an infinite number of cultures, which means there's an infinite number of, of different expressions and interpretations of what that could be. So, so when you ask most people in America, the, the research is saying that most of them say, well, culture or Christmas is what I really want it to be, right? And, and I'm not just talking about like, well, what food do you eat at Christmas? Or how do you open presents? Although that all matters. But really the idea that's happening in our country is most people say, well, Christmas is just a cultural thing. We like it. It's fun. But when we boil it all down to and we say, but really, do you know what Christmas is? Most people say, ah, I, if I do, I don't care because it's really just a cultural thing. So every year, what happens? Culture tries to interpret what it's all about. Everything from Hallmark movies to marketing campaigns, right? Think about it. Hallmark movies, what is Christmas all about? It's about that girl that wanders into a small town. She's not looking for love. And then she finds love, but he's kind of a bad boy, but then he's really got a pass, and then she realizes, oh, he's really loved. Right? <laughs> How far off am I? I'm not. I know I, I've been forced to watch a couple, all right? <laughs> Everything. Everything is, is reinterpreted culturally as to what is Christmas all about. I mean, goodness, even Charlie Brown had to ask, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Listen, guys, I've watched so much Charlie Brown with my three-year-old over the past two weeks. I can't, but Charlie Brown had a good question, didn't he? Even Charlie Brown found himself frustrated, and he knew something wasn't right, and he said, but isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about. Well, I'm hoping this morning we can unpack that question. We can unpack what is it all about, who is Jesus, and, and 
Ultimately, I hope what we can do today is we can unpack why the Christmas story is, is important for us. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at a particular title that was given to Jesus. As we start to really understand Christmas, we have to understand Jesus, right? If you, if you really want to understand what the Christmas story is about, you have to understand the person to which it is about. So if you want to understand Christmas... If you want to answer Charlie Brown's question, we got to ask, who is Jesus? And, and what we're going to do today is we're going to look at this particular title that was given to Jesus even before he was born and hopefully unpack it. So let's jump back into our passage this morning. We're going to, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2 again. All right, so once again, the, we're, Matthew begins the gospel and he's talking about the birth of Jesus. And as we read here in Matthew chapter 2, that, that word spreads like wildfire, right? That, that this idea that there was a king born, especially in this culture, they didn't need cell phone. They didn't need text message, TikTok to get the word around. It probably moved even faster, okay? So the word is quickly spread, and, and so much so that even the king, King Herod, it would become distressed. Who is this so-called other king, and what is his business here? So he gathers up a bunch of the religious leaders, and look again with me in verse 5 here. All right, he says, okay, where is he supposed to be born? And this is what they tell him. They said, well, he'll, he'll be born in Judea. And they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. They knew enough. They knew scripture of, of what scripture told about the coming king, the coming Messiah. And then verse 6, though, capture this with me. He says, and you, O Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come for you. Okay? So that's the first part. We know that the... the the king, this Jesus, the, the child will be a king, but this is the part that we want to focus on this morning. He says, a ruler will come for you who will be, this is our word this morning, a shepherd for my people Israel. Shepherd, that's the word that we're going to look at this morning. It's one of the most popular titles that's ever given to Jesus. It's one that you've probably thought through, maybe other read, passages, read other passages about it this morning, but it, it is a great picture. It's a great analogy for who Christ is. But what I want us to do is I really want us to dive in and unpack that word. Why is that, that title shepherd given to him? Why is it that, that a title that interestingly enough in cultural context would have been seen almost as a negative word because of their status? Why is it that the Bible calls Jesus our shepherd? Now there's a lot of passages that we could look at this morning, but I want to take you to three. I want to look at three separate passages this morning that talk about Jesus as the shepherd. But here's what's really cool about it is that in each passage, they're all in different books, they're all different authors, but each author puts a different adjective in front of the word shepherd. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And, and what I really hope you see is that as we unpack these three different passages, that you're going to see a deeper, richer, more beautiful painting of who Jesus the shepherd really is. So for the first one, if you have a copy of scripture, I invite you to turn to John chapter 10. Now, uh, John chapter 10 is a very popular section of scripture. Many of you, I'm sure, have, have read this one before. You've, you've seen this. This is straight out of the mouth of Jesus. This is a great section in scripture where basically all of chapter 10 is Jesus talking. It's, it's a lot of words and read there, but I want you to look at with me first here this popular, this very famous passage here, John chapter 10, verses 11 and 14. This is what Jesus said. And if you know this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. 
This is directly from the mouth of Jesus. I love this, all right? This is, for me personally, I love the, the image of, of Christ as the shepherd, but as we unpack it more, I think you'll see even more beauty to it. Now, here's something I realized, though. I'm not a shepherd. I know nothing about shepherding. I've never even really spent time around a bunch of sheep minus going to a petting zoo, which doesn't really count, right? I don't know a lot about shepherding, and to my knowledge, I don't think any of you are in this room as well. Please talk to me afterwards if you are, but I don't really know what it means ultimately to be a shepherd, so I, but I do think it's important that for our context here that we understand what the shepherd was, especially in this his, historical Palestine setting as Jesus is talking about, a, a, a uh, work a, a job that many would have actually held. So it, it's not an uncommon analogy in the sense that people would have instantly known what Jesus was talking about here. But I do think it's important that we understand w- what is it that he's referring to. So if I ask you, right, just think about for a second, what comes to mind when you think of a shepherd, right? Do you think of a guy with a beard? Maybe he looks a little like me. That's fine. He can. I would pass. I could probably pass as one, right? But we think of when we think of a shepherd. I think we we gain this instant picture in our head of like some guy. He's out there with a robe. He's got his little rod staff here. He's dirty. He's been sleeping outside. He's covered in mud and dirt and all this, right? This is the picture that we often think of as a shepherd. Which, by the way, that's why culturally they are almost seen as they, a lot of people did see them as unclean. They were kind of social outcasts because who wants to talk to the guy that lives among the sheep? But it's, it is the title that is given to Jesus here. But as we start to dive in, what you're going to see here is there's actually a much richer and a much deeper element to these shepherds. That there's a certain identity to them that makes them who they are. Because in order to be a shepherd, and for that matter to be a good shepherd, you have to have some characteristics. So when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, what does he mean? Well, I want to take you to to another popular passage. In fact, you could probably say it's the most popular chapter in the entire Bible, but I think it's extremely relevant. And when we talk about Christ as being a shepherd, I I want you to hear the words from Psalm 23. Many of you in this room, I know you've heard this, right? You've heard it maybe growing up. Maybe if you're here today, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard it, and you're in for a treat. But Psalm 23 is one of the most beloved passages in all of Scripture because it really talks to this this, idea of what it means that Christ is a shepherd. What does it mean as someone who is looking over other people? And so this morning, what what I invite you to do is read along, but I really want you to just absorb it, okay? I really just want you to pause for a minute and just hear the words of God written to you as, as the, quote, shepherd here, all right? So this is what Psalm 23 says. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest of valleys, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect me and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Amen to that. What a beautiful passage. There's no question as to why this is one of the most famous chapters and one of the most beloved 
in all of Scripture. But what does it mean? What, what does it mean then that what does a shepherd actually do? What is he ultimately about? And what I want you to notice first off as we read Psalm 23 there's a lot of different ways that we could break this down, but the first thing I want you to see is that when we talk about a shepherd, whether that is physical, actual sheep, or is in our context, is what it means that God is our shepherd, what, the first thing I want you to see is that the sheep is in, or the, the shepherd is invested in his flock. You see, more so than any, a lot of other professions and jobs, what, what was required of the shepherd, at least for a good shepherd, was, was this idea that he was invested into the lives of the sheep. It, it, it took more for that person to be that. You didn't clock in at nine and then clock out at five. The shepherd was highly, deeply invested into the lives of the sheep. And then as we start to unpack uh, chapter 23, you start to see more of, of what he actually does. And I, I don't want to spend too much time here, but a few things that I just want to point out to you. I think we can, we can kind of break down the, the roles of the shepherd in kind of four different ways. The first is when we look at Psalm 23 and what the shepherd does is we see first off that the shepherd cares. Right? Notice that, that when he's talking, he, he's leading them into these, these beautiful pastures and these green meadows and these, and these simple streams for everything for, to get what they need. He cares for them. It's not that he's doing the bare minimum. We see the shepherd, he, he has a, a sense that he wants to make the sheep better. He cares for them in such a way that he views them not just so much as a task or a job, but he views them as something more. That's the first. The second is that we see that the shepherd leads the sheep. This is kind of crazy and fascinating to me that sheep are so helpless, guys, that you can put a sheep in a room and you can put a bucket of water, and there's a 99% chance they will never find it. They, they need somebody to walk them over and say, right here, this is your water, okay? They need that. They need someone that is leading them, who's thinking ahead for them, who's, who's thinking about tomorrow, who's thinking about all the things that have happened. They need a leader. They need somebody who can care for them in such a way that he's taken them. The third is that the good shepherd provides for them, whether that is food or water or a place to sleep. The good shepherd realizes that the sheep are really incapable of providing for themselves, because once again, if you leave a sheep in a pasture, by the way, and they eat it all, you know what they do? Nothing. It requires the shepherd to say, all right, now we got to go here. I got to provide for you again. The good shepherd provides. And then finally, we see that the good shepherd protects. You see, sheep are probably one of the most vulnerable animals in all of the animal kingdom. There's really nothing that they can do. I mean, they, they, are, they are the actual epitome of a cotton ball. They, they have nothing, right? Have you ever been around a sheep? The worst, that they can, the worst that they can do is hit you with their head, and they don't even have horns. They got nothing. There's nothing that they can do. They need protection, which is even more why in this time that the, the shepherds had to sleep out there with them. They didn't have barns, all this stuff. They had to walk alongside them. They, they needed protection. And what I love about Psalm 23 is that it, it starts to paint the picture of this good shepherd because what, what we see about our shepherd is that it's not, it's not saying if we face the, the dark valleys, the same when we're in those valleys, right? This is what's amazing to me is that I've been in those dark valleys. I know you have too. 
I've, I've been in those times of anguish and sadness and tears and anger, everything, all those moments. But here's the beautiful picture of Psalm 23. When, when we see the shepherd of Christ in Psalm 23, he's not at the end of the valley. He's not at the beginning. He's not even at the top of the cliffs looking down saying, go this way, go there. No, where does Psalm 23 say the shepherd is? Right here. He walks with us through the valley. In fact, I would argue that he takes our hand and he says, come with me this way. The shepherd knows the vulnerability of the sheep and he says, I will go into the dark places with you. Here's what's kind of funny to me as I think about this. I, I've read this passage a thousand times. I love Psalm 23. It's, cherished, it's, it's a big cherish to me. I, I love to reflect on it. But can I tell you, this passage became more uh, enlightened to me when I got a dog. I, for the first time a few years ago, I got a, a brand new German Shepherd. Okay, and I want to show you a picture of him, okay? All right. No, don't, don't, don't let that mislead you, okay? Don't. You realize how long it took me to take that picture, okay? These two are boneheads, okay? So these are my two dogs, and I love them to death, but you'll see here on the left, this is my shepherd. His name is Otto, and he's actually a mixed shepherd. He's, he's primarily German shepherd, but he's got a lot of other shepherd in him. And then his brother there on the right, that's Murphy. He's a black lab, and Best way I can describe Murphy for you is, if you ever saw Christmas Vacation, he's kind of like Cousin Eddie. He's, um, his heart's way bigger than his brain. That's, that's how Murphy, he's a sweet kid though, we love him. But Otto here is interesting. Okay, so I, I grew up with dogs. I've had so many different types of dogs, but I never had a shepherding dog before. And it, just out of curiosity, does anybody have a shepherding dog in here? Do you have a German Shepherd or Border Collie, any of you? Okay, I'm the only one. All right, well, this is going to be interesting. So here's what I've learned about him, though. He is so unique in the way he operates, and, and he's so much different than the other dog. Because as a shepherd dog, he actually possesses a lot of these shepherding-type qualities. All right, I have another picture here I want to show you of him. Um, but here, here's what I've learned about Otto, is that he never turns off the shepherding button in his brain. He is always in that mode, unless I throw a ball for him. That's about the only way I can get him distracted. But here's what I've learned about him. I, we got Otto a few months after, or about six months after my son was born. So my, my three-year-old son has grown up with this dog. And one of the things about this dog is that he's extremely loyal, right? More so than any other dog, all right? Because when I watch him, it's pretty fascinating what he'll do. He is deeply concerned about me and my family. And he has this, this just mentality, which is to protect and watch over us, all right? So when my son was really little and he would cry, guess which dog was there first? That dog. He would go over to him. He'd sniff him. He'd lick him. What's going on? Sometimes we'll go out in the backyard here, and I'll even open up the gate and let them run around. If my son wanders off, guess what happens? He runs after him. Where are you going? What are you doing, right? The other one, who knows what he's doing? He's probably <laughs> chewing a hose. I don't know. But he's trying to get petted, right? He's a, he's a loving dog. But this dog, he never turns it off, right? He always sees that. When a stranger walks behind our house, oh, my goodness. 
he becomes fierce. Now, he's never hurt anybody. I don't think he ever would. But he has that protective mindset that like, hey, I don't know you, and you better be careful. One of my favorite things, though, that he does is sometimes we'll go out in the front yard. My wife and I will be sitting on the steps, and my son's playing with his cars or bubbles or whatever. The lab's trying to get somebody to pet him. He's, you know, he, that's all he ever wants. But sure enough, nine times out of ten, we'll be sitting there. Everybody's doing their own thing. But my German shepherd will go, and he'll sit out in the front of the yard, in front of the street, and he'll plop down, and he just does this. He never stops. He's got this shepherd mentality, which is, that's my people. And I'm here to watch over them. You see, Jesus is the good shepherd because, as we see, he cares. He leads. He provides. He protects. That's the good shepherd. That's the first layer that I want you to see this morning. But let's continue on. I invite you, if you want to, join me in Hebrews chapter 13. The author of Hebrews also has a title for Jesus that he wants to give. And at the, end of, at the end of Hebrews chapter 13, the author is writing and he's kind of giving these so-called final instructions to the, to the people. And he's encouraging them to live out their faith, right? To, to continue showing their love towards one another and the people in their, in their world. And he's encouraging them to stay steadfast to the faith. He's encouraging them to continue spreading the good news of the gospel. But what's interesting is when he gets to the end of all that, if he, after he lists all these charges that he's, he's encouraging them to do, he he ends with a motivation. And he says, here's why you are to continue in that great work. And we get to Hebrews 13, verse 20, and this is what he says. Now may the God of peace, who brought you up from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, look at this adjective, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood. May he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you, through the power of Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. See, the author of Hebrews says, it's not just that he's good. What does the author of Hebrews says? He's great. It's an interesting word, by the way. That word great in the original language, is the word megas. We would write it out as mega, M-E-G-A. Guess what word we get? Mega, right? So it's interesting that the author of Hebrews, he says that, that Christ is a shepherd. He was a mega shepherd. He was a great shepherd, which meant that you could use that word in a lot of different contexts, but it was often used in, in terms of like trying to count something, right? If you had a really, really large amount of something, you would say that is a, that is a mega amount, right? Or even if it was, if you couldn't count, for instance, if you were to say the, the number of stars, well, the number of stars would be megas. It's, it's too hard. It's, it's, it's really difficult to measure. So something is megas. Or, or even it was a word that was sometimes used to describe how someone would, would rank in a particular social system, right? So if you had a king, for example, or if you had somebody in charge and they were the top person, you would use this word to describe that. So when the author of Hebrews is writing, he says, I want to make sure that you understand not just that he's a good shepherd, but he is the mega shepherd. He is the great shepherd. And then we, and we start to see here what makes him so great. Look with me again at the verse, if we can bring this uh, back up here. Hebrews chapter 13, notice a couple things he did. He says, first off, that he brought 
brought you up from the the dead. We'll talk about that here in, more, in a little bit here, right? But notice what makes him great. Well, the first thing is he brought you, you and I up from the dead. Second is he creates a new covenant. We'll talk about that here in just a little bit too. And then the final third, two, look here. He says he equips you to do the good things of his will. And finally, he produces in you through the power of Christ every good thing. So Jesus, our shepherd, he's seen as immeasurable. He's mega, and, and we start to see why that is. We see the, the mega, the, the great things that he's doing, notice, in us. That he, he raises up from the dead. He creates a new covenant, right? He causes us to do good things. He's, what I want you to see from this one is that the good shepherd does things that are external to us, right? He does, he provides these things. He does these things. But notice here that the great shepherd is doing something internally in you, that the great shepherd is actually shepherding you from the inside out. He's changing things within our own identity and making us into the image of what we're supposed to be. And that is image bearers of God. That the idea of producing good wills, the idea of, of equipping you to do those things, what, what that means is that the shepherd is, is changing us from the inside out to make him more like himself. That's what makes him so great. So, Jesus is good. Jesus is great. And then look at the last passage with me this morning, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, the apostle Peter was privileged, as Matthew was, but uh, the apostle Peter was privileged because Jesus, or Jesus and Peter spent three years together. Peter, as you remember, was one of the disciples that followed Jesus everywhere he went. He watched Jesus do shepherd things. He watched him teach. He watched him heal. He literally watched him feed people. He watched the shepherd raise people from the dead. He watched the shepherd teach and enlighten people and bring them into the understanding of who God is in the scripture. So Peter watches the shepherd his entire time here. And if you remember that Peter is also the one that after Christ raises or is crucified and rise from the dead. You remember the scene, Jesus is sitting on the, on the lakeside and on the beach. He's cooking breakfast for all the disciples. And you remember that Jesus looks at Peter three times. Do you remember what he tells him? Care for my sheep. In other words, Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, I need your help. I want you to help me shepherd people. I want you to help me know how to care for people well. I am the good shepherd. I am the great shepherd, right? I do all these things. And Peter, I want you to join me in that. And so, once again, Peter, as he's wrapping up his letter here, he begins speaking uh, largely to the leadership of the church. But he, he, he leaves them with a, with a strong charge and, once again, another motivation. So look at this, 1 Peter 5, 2 and 4. Peter says, shepherd the flock. Of God that is among you. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And then notice the adjective that Peter uses here. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Here's what's so cool to me. Peter's sitting there writing this. The Holy Spirit's inspiring him to, to write this letter down. And, and, he, and he gets there and he says, and when, the, and when the shepherd, no, that's not good enough. And when the good shepherd, 
Yeah, Jesus called himself that. He's, he's, more than, he's more than good. Maybe he's a great shepherd. No, no, that's not good enough. What does Peter do? He says he's the chief shepherd. Here's what's cool. That word, chief shepherd, it's only used one time in the entire Bible, and it's right here. No other place in the entire Bible is that word used than right here in Peter. Peter chose a special word to describe the shepherd. And what Peter tells us, he says, I want you to know that He's good, he's great, but you also need to understand that Jesus is the head honcho. He is the big cheese. He is the chief shepherd. He is the shepherd of all shepherds. And he urges his audience, he says, that's who we need to be like. I I want us leaders, I want you to shepherd people in the way that the chief shepherd would. I want you to look at him as the example. I want you to think about the way that he cared for people, the way he met their needs, the way he provided for them, the way he taught them, the way he, he really invested in their life. He said, I want you to be like that because we have one shepherd that is the shepherd of all, and that is Jesus. He says, I want you to set that example. Do you start to see how the layers are coming together? What, what we began with, if you, if you go back to the beginning, and I asked you, I said, what image comes to mind when you think of the shepherd? And we, and we think of that guy in the robe, and he's dirty, and he's, and he's you know, tired, and he's got the rod and staff, and he's living amongst the sheep. As we start to really dive into that word, as, as the Bible calls him our shepherd, notice what happens, that when we add these different layers to him, we see something pretty spectacular, don't we? We see that first layer that Jesus is a good shepherd, that he's meeting those needs. He, he cares for us. He invests in us. He provides. He protects. We see the, the great shepherd who comes in and he, and he works from the inside out. He, he changes our heart. He makes a new covenant. He brings us up from the dead. And then we see the chief shepherd, the, the, the one that is worthy of all praise, the one who sets the ultimate example of what it means to shepherd and care for people. We have a good shepherd. We have a great shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. Now, I, I got to be honest, I got one more title for you. It, it's not written anywhere, but rather it was proven. And I invite you to go back to John chapter 10 with me. Hear, hear these words again. John chapter 10, from Jesus himself, he said this. I am the good shepherd, but notice this. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. You see, not only is Jesus good, great, and the chief, he is the perfect shepherd, and he's the final shepherd. And the greatest act that our shepherd ever did for us, the single greatest thing that Christ the shepherd ever did for you, and he did for me, and he did for this entire world, is that he ultimately went to a cross on our behalf. Why? Because as we see here, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And that's the, that's the story of what Christmas is really all about, isn't it? That, that what begins in this, this special uh, miraculous moment of a child being born to a virgin, he's placed in a wooden manger, will one day make his way to a wooden cross. See, the, the story of Christmas is that because the shepherd loves his sheep, Because Christ loves you and he loves me so much that he does what every good shepherd does. He says, I I need to do what's best for them. I need to provide for them. I need to protect them. I need to do all these things. I need to change them from the inside out. I need to start doing all the stuff in their life. And he says, but there's a problem. 
You see, we can look at all the problems of the world. We can say, we can look at the brokenness. We can look at the wars. We can look at hunger. We can look at sadness. We can look at your anger problem. We can look at your addictions. We can look at broken relationships. You can take all of that, and it still doesn't, all of those combined really are, are really just a subset of what is the greater problem, and that is the sin that has broken us, the sin that has kept us from having the eternal relationship with our shepherd. And that's exactly what Christ does as the good shepherd. He says, I know how to fix that. I know what it will take for my sheep to prosper. I know what it will take to bring them out of death, to bring them into life. I know what it will take to change them from the inside out. And what that will be is for me to go and lay my life down for them. That's what the cross is ultimately about. Because when we look at the cross, the cross is, is the moment when Christ says, okay, Travis, I want to take your brokenness. I want to take all your sin. I want to take everything you've done bad and what you will continue to do bad, and I want to put it on me. And I want to take everybody else in this world. I want to take all of that, and I want to put it on me because I'm good and I'm perfect, and I will die for you. That's what the good shepherd does. And he only does it because he loves us. He only does it because that's what he desires. His, his greatest uh, thing in life, what God cares more about anything in this world, is that you and I come to know him in a personal way. And he proved that to us on the cross. He showed us that, look, I will go to the ultimate ends to show you how much I care for you. I will walk through the deepest of valleys. I will do whatever it is you, you need. I will do all that, but it won't happen unless I do this first. So when, when Charlie Brown asks, he says, what is, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? We, we have the answer. We, we can look at the shepherd and see that, that Christmas is about the God of the universe who cares about us so much, he loves us so much that he says, I want to go down and shepherd my people. And, and I want to step into the areas that they can't, right? I, I want to do something for them that they could never do. I can't even force them to do it. He says, I want to do something that the sheep are never able to do, and that is earn my forgiveness, earn the, their own righteousness. I have to do that for them. That's what's so great about the cross is that the cross allows us to come and, and when we believe in it, when we trust in the person of Christ, the scriptures tell us that we're forgiven of all that. That, that the sheep come into his flock and he says, okay, I gotcha. And so this morning, I, I just wanna challenge you with something. That where, where there is loss of hope, where, there's, there's, where we're void in hope in our culture, when we, when we realize that most people in this country don't understand or even seem to care about the importance of what Christmas is, I hope that this morning you can have an answer to that. That, that there is an importance to it. And, it can, and it's about this, this person of Jesus. It's about the person of Jesus coming down and saying, I'm here for my sheep because I love them. So my challenge is this. We know Jesus is the good shepherd. We know he is the great shepherd. We know he is the chief shepherd. We know he is the perfect shepherd. My question is simply, is he your shepherd? What would it look like for you this week to say, God, I want you to shepherd me through this. God, I make, I've got a major decision. I want to follow your lead. God, I really messed it up here this week. I want to, I want to attach myself to you. God, I'm really struggling, I'm hurting. This is a difficult time of year and the things that I'm having to walk through and the darkness and the sadness that I've got through. What would it look like for you this week to remember that the, that the shepherd is not at the end of the valley, he's not at the beginning, he's not up top. He says, I'm right here with you. What would it look like for you to say, 
you take the first step, Jesus, and I'm right behind you. I invite you to think about that this week because I, I want you to understand that the shepherd, he's gone to the ultimate lengths to show you how much he loves you. And as broken as we may be, Jesus says, I, I have something great for you and I can walk with you and I will protect you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being our shepherd and taking on a title that was given to you even before you were born. It's, it's an expectation that none of us could ever live up to. And yet, not only did you do it, you did it perfectly. You looked at us and you, and you saw our brokenness. You saw the desperate um, help that we needed. And you said, I'm there. I'm, I'm willing to walk through it. I'm willing to provide and protect and do all this. But ultimately you said, but the greatest thing I can ever do is die for you and, and forgive you of all of our sin. And we're thankful for that this morning. We're thankful for that magical moment 2,000 years ago in a dirty manger. We're thankful that you, you stepped into it. The birth of you is, is the beginning of the greatest story ever told, and that's, that's you. And I'm so thankful that I get to be a part of it. And everyone in this room and in this world gets to be a part of it. And so I pray that for all of us, if, if, if we don't know the shepherd, if there's someone here, Father, that doesn't know you, that doesn't understand that, I, Father, I pray that this message this morning would help draw them closer to you, that they would understand that forgiveness and, and relationship with you is, is not done through works. It's not done through even our own character, Father. It's only done through faith in you, that you died and you rose again. Father, I pray that as a shepherd, you would draw those people close to you right now. And for the rest of us, Father, that as we, maybe we're in the valley, maybe we're in the good times, wherever it is this season, Father, may we, may we just come to you and say, God, you're my shepherd. Lead me. Where do you want to take me? Because I, I know what you can do. I know what you're capable of. And I just simply want to trust in you today. To that end, Father, we, we thank you and thank you again for the season. I thank you for everybody here in this room this morning. Thanks for being our shepherd that loves us. It's in your son's name. Amen.